so hello everyone welcome to doctors d's uh, podcast um, like you know today's episode is being supported by lady circle india dlc 175 which is a, a chapter of lady circle india uh, which works towards uh, providing good quality education empowering the less privileged kids uh, providing good health providing you know empowering women and uh, also it uh, the motto and aim of uh, the organization is to do a friendship with service so yes yeah, service is an utmost important thing giving back to the society is very important and friendship among us which we try to keep it for lifetime is also important so yeah let's go ahead with the podcast today hello and welcome to dr d's podcast the show that inspires you to remain healthy and fit I am Dr. Deepika Krishna. I have been treating gynecological cancers over 15 years. Apart from this, I hold a specialization in nutrition lifestyle modification as well as functional medicine. What is health or fitness? Is it how people look physically? Sadly, in today's world, many of us derive health and fitness just by the looks or physical appearance of a person. But is it more than that? It is very important that we look after our physical as well as mental health. Mental health is very important at every step of our life from childhood to old age. Let yourself please by your achievements both big and small. Have a network of good friends, seek help and advice early. Take the advice of doctors if you are feeling depressed or have any kind of suicidal thoughts or you, if even if you're thinking of harming yourself people taking medicine for mental health problems should not stop taking them no matter what well you feel until you know uh, the doctors you have talked to the doctors and you are okay to go yes you can carry on with your life physical activity and exercise is a major contributor to healthy lifestyle unhealthy living may manifest in obesity weakness lack of endurance and overall poor health that may foster disease development today in this podcast we will be talking about chronic physical and mental fatigue and lifestyle with a special guest dr will cole so make sure you listen all the way through the end Now it's time to welcome Dr. Will Cole to Dr. D's podcast. Well, uh, Dr. Will Cole is a leader in functional medicine. He specializes in clinically investigating underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing health programs for thyroid disease, autoimmune conditions, hormonal dysfunctions, digestive disorders, and brain problems. Phew, that's a lot. Dr. Cole has broken free from limiting approach of standard care which most often call upon drugs and hormones as a first defense uh, against these disease without a real inspection as the root underlying causes and contributing factors to each individual's presenting complaints well 
Thanks for joining us, Dr. Will. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be talking with you. So, um, you know, I was, I went through your profile, you are really popular. And, you know, I really wanted to have this podcast so desperately because, uh, in fact, me personally, I need to learn a lot from you. And I'm sure our listeners as well. So thank you so much for taking time out. And, you know, while going through your profile, you are among the, you know, 50th most famous uh, functional medicine doctor. That, that's a celebrity status. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love what I do. I love what I do. I love my patients. So it's just I've been nose to the ground in my lane focused for the past 12 years, really relentlessly um, immersing myself in functional medicine. And I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers over a decade ago. So we were doing virtual webcam consultations for my entire career. So I think that's where I came from. I was one of the early people talking about functional medicine in online. Uh, and I, I just love it. It's a passion of mine, not just a, a clinical passion, but a personal passion of mine as well. People struggling with different inflammatory problems, autoimmune problems, you, you mentioned them all. Uh, those are my people. Those are the people that I really spend 11 hours a day consulting them and getting, getting them labs and really providing them a functional medicine perspective on their case. So any of the you know, recognitions like 50 functional medicine doctors. That's really cool. Um, but it's all a ripple effect of my passion for my patients. I mean, that's amazing. You know, you are just being modest because, you know, you uh, you also are uh, the instructor of world's largest wellness brand, which is Mind, Body, Green and Goop. So since how long are you uh, practicing functional medicine? So it's been about 12 years at this point. Yeah. So it's been a long time. So it was before the Cleveland Clinic's Functional Medicine Center, before all of that. And um, it was kind of a, a conversation within the health world. Um, and look, integrative medicine as it is and in, in, in complementary medicine as predates functional medicine. So I think the, the actual field of functional medicine specifically, and then, then being more formalized with the Cleveland Clinic's Functional Medicine Center and the Institute for Functional Medicine, that all came a little bit after. But the concepts predates functional medicine. I mean, getting to the root cause, but being evidence-based, dealing with the uh, variables that are at play for people with people uh, with autoimmune issues is really predates functional medicine. So it's been a passion of mine, even before functional medicine, I grew up very interested in health and wellness and biohacking before it was biohacking was a thing, but just figuring out how to optimize my health and my labs. And now I get to really immerse myself uh, clinically with my patients. So, I mean, please tell our, our listeners here, you know, who do not understand about functional medicine, although it is really popular, but then, uh, you know, still it really needs to be um, the more uh, the awareness is lacking. So uh, would you like mm -hmm. to explain our listeners here? Sure. Um, the first thing that we do differently in functional medicine, we interpret labs using a thinner reference range. So anybody that's listening right now, they'll know how hey, I get my lab. And then there's this reference range, this X to Y interval of numbers. Well, we largely get that reference range from a statistical bell curve average of that population of that lab. It's not standardized for the most part. There are a few exceptions to that. But for the most part, you'll see reference ranges will vary from lab to lab slightly. 
it's not looking at optimal health. It's just looking at a bell curve of a population. And people that are predominantly going to labs are people sadly going through health problems. So there's a lot of people that know intuitively something's not right, like my, my, my fatigue or my weight gain or my hair loss or my digestive issues or these inflammatory symptoms, my anxiety, depression. We could go on and on. They go thinking and knowing there's something wrong here, but the labs come back quote unquote normal. But and the doctor says, everything's fine. You know, you're just, you're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant. But there's a reason why what's going on here. Uh, it's not just because someone's just depressed or just getting older or whatever. I mean, that we have to look at comparing yourself to people with health problems is no way for you to find out how you can feel your best. And what they're unintentionally being told is that they're a lot like the other people with health problems that they, they are being compared to. And just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. Ubiquity doesn't equate with normalcy all the time. Normally it doesn't. And we want to look in functional medicine at optimal, not average. How can you feel your best, not just comparing you to people who go to labs? So we're using a much thinner range within that larger reference range. That's the functional range where your body is functioning the best, where does vibrant wellness reside? That's a much thinner range of interval of numbers within that larger conventional reference range. So we can look at the gradient, the spectrum of issues that can be lost when you're looking at just the black and the white, when you're just looking at the things out of the range, you're going to miss things because health and health problems exist, exist on a spectrum. So something that I've, there's a title of my second book is the inflammation spectrum. It's how by the time somebody's diagnosed with a problem, like autoimmune conditions or a metabolic issue. It's about research estimates four to 10 years prior on average to that diagnosis when things were brewing on this inflammation spectrum. So we're seeing people all day long that are somewhere on that continuum of inflammation or dysfunction uh, going on in the body. So that's the first thing we do differently in functional medicine. Second thing is we run more comprehensive labs. So it's based off of a really comprehensive health history, which informs us what labs are the most appropriate. But we want to get a comprehensive evidence-based perspective as far as the root components, the confluence of factors that are at play. So things like microbiome issues, gut problems or hormonal issues, toxicity issues, chronic infections. I see a lot of people with Lyme disease and co-infections to Lyme and mycotoxins or mold toxins that can be driving autoimmune issues and chronic fatigue syndrome. So we're looking beyond the basics as far as the diagnostics are concerned. And then we realize we're all different and you could have a hundred people with, let's just use fatigue as an example. And what's driving fatigue for one in one person isn't necessarily driving fatigue in the next person. So labeling somebody with something like chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, I mean, that's just a description of how they're feeling. It's not telling us why they have the problem. So in, from a functional medicine standpoint, we want to look at and see these symptoms, whether that be fatigue or hair loss or weight gain or digestive problems or some sort of inflammatory symptom we wouldn't want to see that as just like a check engine light. We know the check engine lights on on the car, but why what's underneath the hood, proverbially speaking. And that's where the diagnostics and health history can really uncover the variables that are at play. And it's normally not just one thing. It's a combination of things, but it's on an individual basis. So it's tailored to that individual. So that's in a nutshell, what functional medicine is. 
you have explained it very well because you know you uh, you have covered how uh, functional medicine is different from uh, you know the modern medicine and i love the way you have told that you know the diagnosis which is which comes uh, via uh, the lab reports you know after 2 3 years i mean functional medicine helps to work on that primarily only um, you know and and i can't agree more about you know mold uh, allergy toxins because you know the reports i mean uh, they have do the, the labs do have some tests but then it is not 100% correct you know so you do mm-hmm. have to understand by uh, your signs and symptoms uh, about lyme disease or toxins or mold so for that we do require you know doctors like you who can help us uh, what's your take on you know the genome testing which uh, says that you know you'll be getting to know far more ahead uh, of time that what is going on in your body I think it's important for many cases. It's a piece of the puzzle. Uh certainly, research estimates that the majority of chronic health problems, whether you're talking about metabolic issues or uh autoimmune issues, things like that, the majority of those, there's exceptions to what I'm going to say, but the majority of those are largely driven by epigenetics, the lifestyle factors that can trigger genetic predisposition. So, it's widely generally estimated that about a third of this puzzle, this inflammation's spectrum puzzle of which metabolic issues and autoimmune issues and mental health issues most times uh are somewhere in this inflammation spectrum a third of that is genetics so it's a piece of the puzzle for sure and you have to look at that one third because that's a that's a good chunk of the variables there and for some people it's more for some people it's less but on average about a third and then two thirds the majority of it is epigenetics it's the lifestyle stuff that can awaken that genetic predisposition because researchers estimate that our genes haven't changed in 10,000 years but yet our world has changed very dramatically in a very finite period of time and you're putting that into the you know context of the totality of human history and from an ancestral health perspective so the genetics aren't the main driver it's the epigenetic the amount of stress that we're putting our genes under that can awaken those genetic predispositions that are being lying been lying dormant for 10,000 years but are being awoken like never before because of these amount of stressors that are going on whether that be food or our airy breath or water we drink the soil uh stressors chronic stressors and exposures to toxins etc but look it's that it's that perfect storm where we have to look at the third of the puzzle which is genetics and then two thirds which is epigenetics we look at both so we look at ron gene data and really look at different methylation gene variants different detoxification gene variants apoe apoe2 gene variants how your body metabolizes certain things so we're definitely looking at a good genetic perspective because the analogy that we use uh at least i use it but it's it's a sort of bucket theory right if i have this mason jar here some people have massive mason jars i fill up with water or tea <laughs> but there's nothing in it right now but that basically some people have massive mason jars and they could eat very poorly not sleep well they're smoking and drinking and like really living an unhealthy lifestyle but it's going to take a while for that to overflow so they can get away with a lot it looks like they can get away with a lot but they'll end up overflowing at some point in their life and that triggers that problem that symptom that inflammation that sort of cardiometabolic heart attack stroke cancer something like like that some people have very small mason jars where they they don't have much wiggle room their resilience capacity is quite low that's a lot of my people that i talk to as far as people with autoimmune issues they say things like oh man like i do so much for my health and i look at my family members and they can do whatever they want and i can't do near of what they can and i can't get away with it i get flare ups i get symptoms i don't feel good 
And it seems unfair, right? Because there's different methylation gene variants or different detox gene variants or different endocannabinoid ECS gene variants that can make some people more sensitive to food sensitivities or inflammation or homocysteine recycling. I mean, you could go on and on about how this person's genetic what makeup is uh, what it looks like. But you, what you can control is not the, the mason jar size, but you can control what you put in it. And that's what we have agency over. So my job is to look at the mason jar size, the genetic tolerance for stressors, but also what's more important is what's filling that mason jar up in most cases. So that's always the, the, the dance that we're doing in functional medicine of like emptying that mason jar as much as we can. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and things are not like primitive days because, you know, nutrition, soil, these are very strong factor, which is uh, not providing us end of nutrition. In fact, uh, the research have shown that, you know, the food we eat, it only provides around probably you know, 30 to 35 percentage of nutrition, which is really, really less. You know, that's why, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of patients do ask me that what about supplements, doctor, you know, why can't we have the food and, you know, cover our, um, you know, entire nutrition factor. I think it just if you, I don't know what kind of food one should have, but then of course, you know, that kind of pure food, which would provide you 100% nutrition is really little tough to get that. So yeah, I mean, adding on supplement is uh, absolutely okay, you know, when you are some kind of facing a kind of lack in nutrition yeah. profile. Um, I, I totally believe that. So, you know, Dr. Will, you spoke about fatigue and, you know, how acute and chronic fatigue works on our body, although acute fatigue is, eleva is elevated by rest, but the chronic fatigue does not get better even after resting. How can someone identify if they have chronic fatigue? And are there any other, you know, warning signs of fatigue? Yeah, well... It's one of the top cases that I see and fatigue exists on a spectrum. So whether it's diagnosable or fits our specific criteria in healthcare or not, it's really diagnostically, it doesn't mean much to us in functional medicine. We're looking off, off of how that person feels, how is it impacting their life and what do their labs look like? And then how do we get them better? So there are different seven, definitely cr certain criteria to be officially labeled with CFS or chronic fatigue syndrome, but to me, it's like diagnosable or subdiagnostic. If you're somewhere on this fatigue spectrum, we have to ask the question, why? Why should we be reactionary and wait till somebody's bad enough to be diagnosable to do something about it? It doesn't matter. Like I want to deal with wherever you're at on that inflammation fatigue spectrum. What can we do today to start moving the needle in the right direction for you? So we see people all over that spectrum, whether they are diagnosed already or they just are feeling it and they're undiagnosed um, and everything in between. So it's definitely my heart goes out to anybody struggling with that. But normally it's debilitating fatigue, which like you said, no matter what, how much sleep you get, you're still really exhausted. And it looks different for different people. For some people, it's completely static, no matter how much sleep they get. And obviously, poor sleep can exacerbate it and make it worse, but it's independent. Even if they get a string of good nights, they still are tired. So the sleep optimization should be looked at as a component, but it's not the totality of why somebody has CFS or any type of fatigue for most people. Normally, there's it's a mixture of variables that need to be taken into consideration. So sleep optimization is one of them. So 
beyond that, it's, it's some people it's fatigue is stays the same, no matter what they do. It's a, like a three out of 10, two out of 10, one out of 10 energy. It's very, very low. Some people are so bad that they're bedridden. They can't function most days where they have to really lay in bed. And I consult people via webcam and have for the past 11 years. I see many patients that have to have consultations in bed. And this is before the pandemic. They just telehealth really worked, worked for them because they really couldn't function outside of um, they would pay for it if they, they'd feel worse with flare ups and fatigue if they ended up having to leave their home for very long. I've had patients that uh, before the pandemic, we don't make this a requirement, but some people would come in because they wanted the face to face and they would drive in the back. They, their spouse would drive them and they had to lay down and sleep in the back seat of the car for hours to, on the drive here uh, because they just can't, they couldn't sit up. So it can get really bad for some people. And for some people, it's just somewhere in the middle on that inflammation spectrum where they have dips and valleys. They have um, peaks and valleys as far as their, their energy levels. They get second wind sometimes as far as bursts of energy, but it's short lived. It's not a sustained energy throughout the day. Those shouldn't be delegitimized. I mean, we have to look at, because if you leave that go, that can become worse over time. So what can you do today? Don't normalize something that shouldn't be normalized. Just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. And comparing yourself to people around you and somehow thinking that's a good metric, there's a lot of people that aren't feeling well. And chronic health problems are of epidemic proportions. It doesn't mean we should use that as our litmus test as being equating that with normal. Chronic health problems are common. They are not normal. And we need to say, what can we do today to optimize how we feel? And so you can compare yourself to your best. And that's what I want people to really know. So those are some, and then a subset of people with chronic fatigue syndrome have also brain fog, which is a general term. That's not really a medical term, but it's just a description of how they feel. They have trouble with word recall, name recall issues. They feel hungover sometimes they feel when they walk into a room, they forget why they walked in. It's just not sharp thinking and they feel that fogginess uh, cognitively. So that can happen with fatigue or you can, but most people describe it as two separate things. Even that if they have a great energy day, the brain fog can still be high. Obviously the more fatigued somebody is that will typically will exacerbate the brain fog, but it's not, they are two separate things and that's, mm -hmm. everybody's different, but we need to start asking these questions because these things are common. They're not normal. And, um, that's my job is to uncover what are the variables that are at play that's causing people to feel the way that they feel. But uh, Dr. Cole, tell me something. I mean, if somebody is going through a chronic fatigue, I mean, g give us some that how, how one should uh, work on it. And, you know, apart from uh, understanding the warning signs, what is the recovery or uh, how can one, you know, work towards uh, a better health? I would say, you know, on your own, I would at least start with cleaning up the foods that you eat. So it's what I call the inflammatory core four. These are the four foods that are most likely to drive inflammation levels in the brain, dr drive the inflammation levels in the gut, which is the second brain and just impact and disrupt the immune system at large and drive inflammation levels. Cause CFS is known to have inflammatory components, specifically neuroinflammation or brain inflammation. And so do things like anxiety and depression and brain fog and things like that. So uh, grains, predominantly gluten containing grains like wheat and barley and spelt, decreasing that, decreasing conventional dairy. You can get ghee or clarified butter or things like that that don't have the dairy protein, protein casein in it that can be better tolerable for some people. 
added sugar, which is a no brainer, right? Most people know that, but look for even the nice sounding euphemisms for sugar. Cause uh, you read the labels basically and look at the grams of added sugars, know the terms on the labels and the nutritional labels can, because sugar can hide in many uh, different uh, pseudonyms. And then fourth would be industrial seed oil. So things like vegetable oil, canola oil, soybean oil, I would decrease those. Those can be higher, higher uh, as far as inflammatory concern, drive inflammation, disrupt the gut microbiome and create uh, an inflammatory cascade in the body. So decreasing the amount of those, that's a good start. Now, most of my patients, I would say almost all of them have already moved in the right direction. They're already decreasing those to a certain extent, if not entirely, they're eating cleaner than the average person. But despite all these good things, they're still struggling. So for those people, I really feel like diagnostics, diagnostics can really illuminate the variables that aren't being seen. Like you've already cleaned up your diet. You're already eating and doing things. Sorry, I hit my mason jar. You're already doing things that are better than the average person, but you're still struggling. So diagnostics can, can pinpoint the issues. So we can look at hormones, we can look at nutrients, we can look at inflammation levels, we can look at gut problems, you can look at toxicity, but can look at viral issues and mycotoxins and other pathogens that can drive inflammation levels. Because inflammation is the commonality between all of these issues. But then we have to ask the question, what's driving the inflammation. So starting with food is a good place because everybody's eating food. So okay, that move that starts to empty that mason jar a little bit. But okay, what happens when maybe you're better off than you were, but you're not where you need to be? That's where diagnostics can really play a point. Because that CFS, that chronic fatigue syndrome, or that brain fog, or that depression, or whatever we're talking about, that is just the check engine light. We don't know yeah. why the check engine light's on. And labs and a health history can really pinpoint what are your variables? What are driving your check engine lights in your life? Yeah, and also gut microbiome, like you said, plays a huge role, uh, you know, because uh, one interesting fact, you know, because you spoke about cereals and gluten, uh, you know, uh, it has been seen that, you know, when you eat gluten or any kind of cereal, uh, the gut microbiome, they, it digests and produces the same kind of deliverables, so which is produced by, you know, having alcohol. So that's why um, you get kind of sleepy and drowsy and foggy. So it's an interesting, you know, result which I, um, you know, I, I probably really seconded because I see with so many patients on that. And uh, apart from, you know, celiac disease and all the other kind of intolerance, I think this is also one major factor to look at your gut microbiome. So, you know, uh, the researches where you can find what gut microbiomes you have to know the right kind of food, which goes well uh, with your uh, health, with your wellness, mm -hmm. I mean, should be chosen on that as well. Absolutely. And then being, being consistent because these things take time to heal from. This isn't going to be a quick fix. It's definitely a journey, but it's one that's worth doing to feel yourself again. Okay. So Dr. Cole, I mean, uh, you're talking about your mason jar, you're hitting your mason jar. What's about, what about your routine? You know, I, I read somewhere, you really have a very interesting routine, a very lengthy and very interesting routine. Why don't you share <laughs> Uh, it to our you know listeners here so that we get some learning and follow your routine parts of your routine as well. I don't know if my routine is that lengthier, but you but have I. To mason jar, you know. <laughs> oh my mason, yeah. Uh, so what? <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I have Which is a gratitude. At 5 Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yes. Some days I do. Some days I don't. So I ha it has been written that I woke up at 5am and I have I have done that and I do that most of the time. 
but I have a grace and a lightness to all of this. So like this morning I slept until six 30 and it was fine. Uh, and I work out some mornings and sometimes I would do it later or I won't do it. I'll take a rest day. So I think that, that gr there should be a grace and lightness to wellness, a flexibility to wellness. That's something that I interweave throughout all the things that I've written and with my patients, I'm always telling them like, you need to have this because that's sustainability and that's a healthy relationship with all of these tools and a healthy relationship with yourself that you don't mm -hmm. end up punishing yourself or shaming yourself if you don't stick to your rules. Uh, the, the main rule should be, how can I love my body enough to do things that make me feel good and shift your perspective from not being one of being punitive or restrictive, but to say, look, I love feeling great more than I thought I missed something that didn't make me feel great. And really a, a, a mantra that we say at the clinic and with our patients is you can't heal a body you hate. You cannot shame your way into wellness. You cannot obsess your way into health. And I want people to know that. So my, my uh, routine, it varies from day to day, day to day, but like yesterday I did a, like a 15 minute, wasn't super long EMOM, which is um, every in it, every minute on the minute uh, hit training basically. Um, before, and then I, uh, let my dogs out. <laughs> I do have two golden doodles and my kids are still sleeping somewhere right now. And my wife's still sleeping. So I, uh, feed the dogs and I go, I go, I go to the clinic and we, my team and I have a prayer and meditation for our patients, uh, for the day. And we do case reviews in the day too, because we have, we're dealing with really heavy cases, really serious cases. So we have to be on unified as a team and on top of the game, not just clinically, but also mm -hmm. empathy and this holding space for things that are really heavy sometimes. So we do that corp like corporately as a team here. Um, and then we hit the ground running. We're seeing patients 10, 11 hours a day. I'm on, online in this room actually. Um, and, um, I'm typically doing intermittent fasting until lunchtime. It varies. I do a lot of the protocols that I write about in intuitive fasting, which is my newest book. I do mm -hmm. this every day. So like today I did an 18 hour, oh, I'm doing in the minute, I'm in the middle of it. I'm in an 18 hour intermittent fa fasting window. So, or, or a six hour eating window. So I'll eat between 12 and 6 PM, give or take a little 30 minutes or so, but around 18 hour fast. And uh, I'll get all my calories in, in about a six hour window. I'm not restricting calories. I'm enjoying the foods that I'm eating. I'm just giving my body a bigger break to, for the fast. So that's really the subset of, of intermittent fasting that I do most of the time. And that's what I write about in intuitive fasting. And then it's pretty boring, honestly, because I'm, I'm eating and I'm seeing patients all day long. And then I, I leave and then I go home and hang out with my kids and my wife and all that stuff. So, uh, that's basically, yeah, I eat a, more of a cyclical ketogenic diet uh, where I'll do most of the week, I'll do lower carb and then I'll do clean carb cycling uh, a couple days of the week, which I talk about in the book as well, because it's a tool that I've used and I've used clinically as well uh, for a long time. So we're increasing things like fruits and sweet potatoes and things like rice can be beneficial for some people. So that is, um, those are some tools that I do th during the day. That's lovely. In fact, your book, Ketotarian, I mean, it's a very interesting book, you know, where, you know, people think that you really have to eat a lot of meat and, uh, you know, fats while doing a keto diet. It gives a very interesting perspective. Um, you know, how, how did you come to this topic? And do you, like you, you mentioned that you do uh, practice ketotarian diet in your daily routine as well. So what kind of food do you eat? And, you know, what was the concept behind this book? 
Yeah. So ketotarian and intuitive fasting are two, basically two parts of the same concept. Um, ketotarian was the first book, which really was just educating people about this. You don't have to have either, or you can have both. And you can have a clean nutrient dense, well-formulated ketogenic diet that's cyclical and flexible. Uh, mm -hmm. so that's what ketotarian is. So it's sort of a Mediterranean ketogenic diet with lots of wild caught fish for seafood, um, lots of vegetarian options with eggs and ghee and a lot of mostly vegan keto options. So it's vegan keto, vegetarian keto and pescatarian keto, all sort of flexibly used depending on what you enjoy and what you like to do. Um, so yeah, it's a great way. You don't have to eat bacon and butter all day long to be in ketosis, <laughs> which is this amazing state to lower inflammation and boost your brain function, help your immune system, support your gut health, improve mitochondrial function, support autophagy, cellular recycling. There's so many cool science backed benefits of ketosis. I don't think you always have to be in ketosis. Most people don't, but a cyclical approach works for most people. Um, where they're some of the week they are some of the week they aren't or many women will do that around their menstrual cycle if they're cycling or a couple of days out of the like around their period and around ovulation they'll increase their clean carbohydrates to support progesterone and the thyroid hormone and decrease that hormetic effect because fasting and a ketogenic diet are act or hormetic effects they are hormesis so they mm -hmm. um they're good stress that makes your body more resilient, more cycled, healthier, uh, just more vibrant, but you don't always have to be in that state to get the benefit. So I think striking that balance and that flexibility is re really where the sustainable magic is when it comes to feeling great and your labs looking great and your energy looking great and all these things looking great in your life. So that's what I do. I do more of a cyclical ketotarian approach with intermittent fasting, which is why with intuitive fasting, my newest book, it really was taking ketotarian, taking these concepts, but mm -hmm. blending it with intermittent fasting that's flexible because they're two sides of the same coin. Both intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet both support beta hydroxybutyrate or BHB, which is this amazing tool, as you know, but it's a lower inflammation and do all these amazing things. So to me, I would never advocate as a functional medicine practitioner to fast your way out of a poor diet and you know just eat whatever you want and do it fasting. I don't advocate that. But marrying a ketogenic diet like ketotarian with intermittent fasting is a great way because they complement each other. They're really yeah. supportive. Yeah, that's very true. So is that the secret of your skin as well? You know, because it's always <laughs> nice and clean. So is, is like too much of keto and uh, intermittent or uh, are there some, you know, special skin thing which you some secret thing which you apply on your skin? <laughs> <laughs> that's very kind of you. I get asked that a lot. I don't know what it is to me. It's just I don't know. But yeah, but, but look, healthy fats are great for your skin. I mean, things like olives, extra virgin olive oil, avocados, wild caught fish. Those are a good monounsaturated and omega fats that are really great for your skin. Um, I do, I formulated a product with Agent Natur, which is a, a clean beauty line, but it's their first ingestible. I did, I formulated both of their ingestible supplements. So the new one is called Holy Main, which I really love. And it really does support healthy skin, strong hair and strong nails too. Um, it's called Holy Mane. It's, we have it at Dr. Yeah, H-O-L-I-M-A-N-E. It's at drwilkle.com. They can check it out. Uh, but oh. basically it's marine collagen 
and pearl powder, which pearl powder has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for a long time. So that's nothing new. Marine collagen, same thing. Uh, humans would have had a more of a collagenic diet for a long time. So that's a mm -hmm. supplement that I use for skin health too. Um, and you know, what, what we put in our bodies, what we eat, eat is so important. And a fasting is a great way to support skin health because it lowers inflammation, supports autophagy, and supports your gut health. And we have what's known as the gut-skin axis. So our skin is oftentimes an outer representation of what's going in our gut. So if you have a healthy gut, you're going to have a healthy skin. At least that's the cornerstone of it. And from there, what you put on your skin too matters. Like use clean beauty products. Um, I use Dr. Barbara Sturm a lot. She's a good friend of mine. So she has great products. Um, so those are some topical things that I use. Yeah, her products are great as well. So, you know, your Instagram profile is very interesting and the way you do your reels are also very interesting. Your dance moves, the songs which you choose. Uh, so is there any correlation of the topic and the music or are those your favorite music? Like how, how, do, you, how do you choose the music? My team is going to crack up at you asking me these questions because I'll tell you what, I am a man of a certain age. I am not a Gen Zer. I'm like a 37-year-old. I am like way too mature to be doing <laughs> these reels. But I'll tell you what, is that it's a great way to educate people. Um, and it's a great way to reach people and educate them on things that I've been talking about for 12 years, but they don't read articles. They're not even reading books. Yeah. And I'm writing the articles and writing the books. So I know there's a certain sect of the population that isn't reading articles very much. They read headlines, clickbait stuff, and they're not reading books very much. So for me, in my mind, is that reels are and TikTok and things like that are like a way to educate people in a different way. I actually, I'll be honest with you, I don't really enjoy doing them at all because I prefer writing and I prefer speaking about things like this. I like longer form stuff, but in lieu of being a good sport, uh, I have some Gen Z people on my team that are always giving me ideas and I, I sit there and do them and it's way too time intensive that I, than I would like to do, but <laughs> it's part of the education game right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, providing information in that way is because, you know, the attention span of, uh, um, you know, I won't uh, mention any generation, but because there's so much of distraction, the attention span has been become very, very less. So I think reels and these tiny TikToks and these these work very well, you know, where, where you are providing information, maximum information in 30 minutes, 30 seconds. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good way, I feel, you know, because you get the information, you enjoy the music, it's all together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and I normally pick, I normally pick to see send the music. I, I've, we've done like different trending audios. We do that, but I will do songs that I like. And I just like, like to educate people about gut health when it comes to like a nineties R and B song. Again, you know, studies have so shown that if you are listening to uh, the songs from your teens or from thing, you know, it just helps you boost your uh, health more, you know, it just works with the cells, your uh, mental level just goes up. So yeah, it's a kind of uh, good practice. Practice, uh, which one uh, should be doing so you know dr cole uh, before moving to the last question i would uh, give a quick shout out uh, to lady circle india uh, the show is being supported by lady circle india it is uh, uh, an organization which works towards building schools and providing education uh, to the less privileged and you know to empower the less privileged kids and also taking care of the health 
So uh, DLC 175, uh, whose chairperson I am, and I'm, uh, you know, that's why I'm giving a shout out. It is a part of Ladies Circle India. So yeah, uh, I mean, please go and check out the, the Ladies Circle India ORG website. Uh, please donate. You know, it's for good cause, and you know, rest of the information you'll be getting there. Uh, so before and so my last question which is again a very very important question is the sleep issues you know because in integrative medicine functional medicine we do find out everything through the reports you know to conversation but often people miss to talk about you know uh, the client the patient miss to talk about their sleep issues which is a major factor in your health in your hormones in your overall wellness how do you work uh, with people you know to uh, discover their sleep issues and what solutions do you provide them yeah it's such an important part, part. um and it, it's people have to see it as a meal at just like they would their breakfast lunch and dinner i mean these non food inflamers are just as much influential on your biochemistry and your gut health and your hormones and your brain health and your inflammation levels as it is your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's so important. This isn't a luxury. You know, some people say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's old sort of cliche. Well, that's not a good way of looking at it. Sleep is not a luxury. It's a mandate on our health. And just one night of poor sleep has been shown to increase inflammation markers in the form of high sensitivity C-reactive protein, let alone the cascade of things you were not even quantifying in somebody's body. I mean, impact that's having on cortisol levels and gut health repair and autophagy pathways, and I could go on and on. It's not good for our bodies. That's just one night, let alone, we know most people that have sleep problems or not prioritizing sleep are doing this all over and over and over again for years and years and years of their life. This isn't good. So I would, I, this is a major part of when I'm consulting patients and guiding them over time. It's yes, looking at food and we build them a food protocol and natural medicine protocol, all that stuff, stress management, dealing with stuff from their past trauma, things like this, but what optimizing sleep is one of the first things that we try to get a handle on, or at least move in the right direction. At least we may not be a hundred percent, but we're at least trending in the right direction. And that is what is generally referred to as improving sleep hygiene. It's just really setting a tone and setting a good environment for restorative quality sleep where we don't just get good quantity, but a good quality. Sometimes we have people tracking things on something like the aura ring or another sleep tracking app to look at the quality and the quantity of the sleep. Cause it doesn't really good to get eight or nine hours if it's not good quality. And many people will get their hours in, but they wake up feeling exhausted. We have to kind of see is sleep not a good quality. And that's where I was talking about earlier, that one component to some people's fatigue puzzle. Um, mm -hmm. And that is optimizing sleep for many people as being one aspect to it. So things like uh, weighted blankets can be a great way. It's sort of just slightly weighted blanket to support pa the parasympathetic system, the resting, the digesting, the hormone balance, the repair mechanisms in the body. Uh, which is sort of this uh, cuddle in a way where people can be like, oh, they can feel a little safer in sleep. Their, their systems that's so much in overdrive, sympathetic, fight or flight, stressed state can start to calm down a little bit. So a weighted blanket, appropriately weighted uh, uh, essential oils can be great. Binaural beats, other meditation 
apps at night or just your own doing breathing meditations once you get good at it. Um, it's, there's a product which I have no, you know, I have no uh, financial connection with them, but they're called Chili Pad. Uh, it's basically it cools you off. So people that sleep hotter uh, or people that have night sweats that are waking them up or they're just tossing and turning a lot and they don't even know they're sleeping hotter. A ch the chili pad can be great, great way, a game changer for some people's sleep as well as the weighted blanket. Um, and um, turning off technology for a couple of hours after you in the evening. So don't be looking at your phone late at night, like turn off the TV. If you have to be on the screen, uh, then wear like blue light blocking glasses, getting good quality blue light blocking glasses to break, to block some of the blue light that's impacting cortisol, melatonin production, uh, and different herbs can be helpful. Things like magnesium, valerian root, lemon balm, uh, those are some ideas that people can consider too. Um, but yeah, so th those are all, that's all part of improving sleep hygiene. So that's a lot of information. I'm sure our listeners going to take all the advantage of that. When you're speaking about sleep, there's so many new things coming up in the market, you know, so many hats coming up, like, you know, blue light blocking glasses and the weighted blanket. In fact, you know, when I first time heard about the weighted blanket was two years back and I was so much fascinated with that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's very, you know, it just improves your sleep quality, you know, that warm snuggle hug, you which you want, it just provides you that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Will Cole. So, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, you are such a motivation yourself, you know, I mean, uh, your routine, your knowledge, and the way you're working, it's just so, so, so much informative. And so, you know, uh, it just... Uh, we would love to embrace all the knowledge and all your information. So could you tell our listeners very quickly that, you know, where they can find you if they are looking for any appointment with you? Sure. It's all at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Uh, yeah, there's the links to the telehealth clinic there. There's lots of free resources too. Um, the book links to the books, Intuitive Fasting, the Inflammation Spectrum, and Ketotarian are all there as well. Perfect. So thank you so much. So guys, we'll see you at the next episode of Dr. D's podcast. Bye-bye for now.